Welcome, everybody, to episode 43 of the Doctrines of Rad podcast. I'm one of the hosts. I'm Drew. My co-host, Logan, is not going to make it here today. Uh, he's got some other things going on, and, and we're, we are pre-recording this one, so it isn't live, so you're probably watching this uh, on a Wednesday or a Thursday, uh, but I am extremely excited and pleased to welcome our guest, uh, who we're going to interview today. Uh, his name is... Ben Zeisloft. He is the editor-in-chief of the uh, Republic Sentinel. It's a conservative news and commentary outlet. And uh, the bonus part is it is owned by Christians. So it is a Christian uh, commentary and news outlet. He was also, at one time, he was a staff reporter for The Daily Wire, which is maybe where you have first heard of him. That was certainly where I had heard from him. Uh, and he's also done some other work in some smaller outlets. Uh, he graduated from University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. So welcome, Ben. Thanks, brother. Good to be here. Yeah, man. I, I'm really uh, super excited to have you on. Uh, I had been trying to, I don't know if you noticed on Twitter in the, over the past month, but uh, I would drop little notes on your posts and say, <laughs> hey, podcast, me, you, you know, like yep. trying to get your attention and uh, you finally followed me back, and I was able to get you in the DM. So uh, <laughs> very excited to have you here, man. Uh, brother, I really I appreciate all the work that you've been doing. Uh, you are active on social media. You are actively engaged in the, uh, the conversation that our culture and society is having, uh, which is a, a very important uh, piece for us as believers. So tell me a little bit about um, the Republic Sentinel. Tell me about how you you know got involved in that, and we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Ben Zeisloft. I'm the editor of the Republic Sentinel, as you mentioned. Uh, we are a conservative news outlet that is owned and operated by Christians. So um, the conversation that you mentioned is is largely centered around the the need, or the, I guess the danger of, of Christless conservatism and the need for Christians to be involved in the public square. So that's what we're trying to do from a journalistic standpoint. It's not that every single article is going to have, you know, Bible verses in it or is, is going to be preaching a sermon. We're covering the news of the day, whether it's the Second Amendment, or the, whether it's military, the economy, uh, something cultural, something in sports. Um, we're covering it honestly and ethically, and we're doing it as we would as we would Christians. Um, I love the Martin Luther quote where he talks about how the Christian shoemaker doesn't etch Bible verses into the side of each shoe, uh, but he just makes excellent shoes because God is God cares about good craftsmanship. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do the Sentinel. That's great, man. How, uh, how important is that in your, in your opinion to have a, a, a network that is solely Christian uh, versus obviously you have experience in other places uh, that are not inherently Christian, maybe just conservative in some ways. Uh, what is a, how important is that for you? B, how, how does that feel the difference in working in those two different types? Yeah, it's it's you can definitely tell the difference. So I've been around a few uh, media outlets over the past couple of years, uh, heading heading into my second half of college and then graduating, entering the workforce. And it does certainly matter what your style guide says about how you cover certain things. So um, that's especially true of abortion, transgenderism, homosexuality. Are you using terms like biological male? Are you using preferred pronouns? Or are you just saying, hey, this is a man who is who thinks he's a woman? Um, and you don't say terminating pregnancies. You say killing babies or or uh, murdering babies. Um, and so that certainly matters. And even, even the content of what we decide to cover, uh, is, is important too. So now I'm, I'm spending a lot of time looking at other conservative outlets and seeing how they cover things and what they cover. And uh, I was just looking at Outkick Sports uh, a few weeks ago and I was noticing that, you know, half of their articles are basically pornography. So you're not going to wow. see anything like that at the Sentinel, even though it's, you know, the Outkick is supposed to be a conservative sports outlet and they're, they're new and hot on the scene. But they're offering basically softcore porn. We're not going to do that because we're Christians. That's great. And so, how how much of an impact? Well, I guess let's let's kind of maybe talk about the journey of how you got there. Uh, you know, you you went to did you go to school specifically for journalism? I did not. So I went to business school. In, yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So how did you? Were, were you always passionate about journalism, and it just kind of fell into it, or did did God change your heart in the midst of business school? Yeah, it was very providential. I, def I definitely didn't go out seeking journalism or anything like that. Um, so I've always loved to write, though. Uh, so I was involved in a campus newspaper, uh, conservative campus newspaper. Um, and in 2020, I was looking at jobs and internships and looking at venture capital, something to that effect, startups. Um, and all those doors, of course, shut because of COVID, except for one um, mm. through the campus newspaper's parent organization at another conservative outlet. Um, 
uh, down in D.C. So that's how I got into the conservative journalism world. I like I love the people. Um, we're all very close knit across outlets and so forth as well. Um, so that's what led to. Um, so that was the Spectator, also writing for Campus Reform, later the Daily Wire, and now uh, the Sentinel. So you went from uh, doing some some campus type reporting. Uh, what was that like in the term of obviously you know we hear all kinds of stuff about um, how liberal and left leaning these schools are. I mean it's it, some of it you know they go to extremes. Um, what was that like as an introduction to writing conservative content, and how was that received on the campus? What kind of feedback did you get? Yeah, it, it really there really is a certain radical five percent, uh, even at a place like the University of Pennsylvania, that really will get in your throats, uh, get in your face. Uh, most people were willing to have a conversation, but there are a few instances where people wanted to shut you down. I remember um, a few weeks into my freshman year, I just gotten involved in. Uh, our campus newspaper, our conservative campus newspaper, and this old, I was handing out copies on the on the um, college campus, and this old professor came up and shouted in my face and said, I hope you change your mind by the time you're older. And I was like, I probably won't, but thanks wow. thanks for stopping by. Um, so th- there are instances like that, but in my classes and so forth, I could be like the token conservative or uh, maybe economic libertarian um, and actually start a dialogue and a conversation. So not as bad as you would think, um, but but certainly that pressure is there. Yeah. Yeah, when you see like what what was it like? Were there were there more liberal um, you know publications also coming out at the same time? Yeah, there were. Um, yeah, so that's the the Daily Pennsylvanian uh, on Penn campus is the token, uh, I guess, censor left, really increasingly left uh, publication um, at Penn. So we were always the counter to them. Much smaller, of course, because there aren't nearly as many conservatives as liberals or progressives at a place like Penn. But we were, yeah, that was, I guess, our competition. <laughs> Yeah, what would you say is the percentage-wise uh, when it comes to conservatives and liberals uh, at that school? That's a good question. Um, I, I know that Wharton, uh, which is Penn's business school, is more is actually one of the most conservative um, parts of the Ivy League. So I think it's like thirty percent uh, libertarian Republican, uh, but like the the general student population is, of course, overwhelmingly liberal. Yeah, what do you what do you attribute that to? What do you think uh, is the driving force behind all of these liberal folks ending up in college? And uh, is it the professors that are turning them liberal? Or are they already liberal when they get there? Uh, mm. What what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think all of academia is is basically down that direction at this point. It's been it's been you know several decades in the making. The long slow march through the institutions that the the communists and the Marxists have done. Um, so there's incentives to hire. Marxist and to recruit students who are Marxist, um, especially at the PhD and teaching level. Um, I think increasingly I see high school students more liberal. Um, maybe that's a fruit of parents not paying attention. I know that uh, my own hometown where I grew up, it's you know it's it's two thirds red. Uh, we you know voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump in in 2016, 2020, and those students are shockingly liberal. Um, who and all their parents are conservative, and it's like, what are you doing? Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a fruit of the at, at, at least at the post secondary level, it's a fruit of the professors recruiting people who already agree with them, um, and I think that's probably what what it could be attributed to. Yeah, interesting. And do you think that there's a, a level of folks that come in kind of middle ground that get pushed over into that one side or the other? Yeah, so it's the same problem that you see in the media where the what we're told is the middle ground is actually center left. So if you lead, mm. if you read um, a media outlet that purports to be uh, unbiased, something like that, something like the Associated Press and like Axios, it's actually center left. Um, uh, the conservative, and then the normal conservative, or maybe slightly to the right conservative, is like the extremist, right? That's the that's the um, you know all all the left wing nonprofits will call those people uh, purveyors of hate speech or spreaders of disinformation when really they're just they're just the other side. Uh, but the people in those institutions don't know that. Wow, that's pretty. That's pretty crazy. Do you do you feel like your uh, your time on campus uh, did it help to solidify your conservative position? Did it drive you more uh, to to you know extremism, as they would say, which we would just consider <laughs> to be just kind of based? Um, you know, how how was yeah. that for you? Yeah, that's a good question. So I grew up in a I grew up nominally Christian. My parents are believers, but I was nominal. Uh, so really, my first year of, of school was actually becoming a Christian, being regenerated. Uh, so being, wow. being and part of that was being around uh, Christian conservative students who really knew their Bibles. I didn't know my Bible, 
Um, and, you know, as a result of that, I would say that most conservative politics is a natural outflowing of the biblical worldview. As a result of that, they were pretty conservative. So that's, that's how I met a lot of them. But then I saw that their, their faith was driving it. So uh, once that equation was settled, um, I, I'd always been conservative through the whole process politically. But uh, having the worldview foundation was meaningful as well. It equipped me to better engage these things. And as 2020 rolled around, so that was halfway through my college experience, I was able to see things more clearly for what they were. Um, seeing that there's no such thing as a neutral space in something like governments that, you know, Black Lives Matter riots were worship services, things of that nature. Mm. Um, so that's how I developed in that in that sense. It's, it sounds to me like uh, the years of, of COVID 2020 on uh, really helped to kind of push you more towards Christ. I mean, uh, that's if you if you were a nominal Christian coming into school and you were in there and in 2020 is happening, you're seeing just the the blatant hypocrisy that's going on in the media, in, in our country, in our government. Um, you know, some people will will just take that as just a shutdown. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be involved in anything anymore. It sounds like that was the way that the Lord kind of drew you closer to him. Yeah, Would for you sure. Agree? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think you see that across a lot, a lot of people. It's been really encouraging these past few years to see uh, people realize the severity of what we're up against uh, in terms mm. of the government overreach and addressing that from not just a conservative political standpoint, but from a religious Christian standpoint is, is extremely important. So walk me through this kind of regeneration process that you had being being a nominal Christian in, in school. What was it? Um, obviously, we know it's the Lord that does the drawing. We know it's God that does the work. But yeah. um, what kind of uh, what kind of circumstances were you in that began to open your eyes and wake you up uh, and, and make you feel like I need to lean on on Christ even more than what I have been? Yeah, brother. So I was so I grew up in Pittsburgh, uh, so the other side of Pennsylvania. Um, I'm from I, Ohio, by the way. <laughs> okay. You're not an Ohio State fan, are you? Uh, if that's going to divide us, then I'll just say I'll, I'll relent to whatever it is that you like. Okay. No comment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not even that I like sports that much, but it's, you know, Ohio State. They, oh, they get on my rivalry. Yeah. It, dude, it's it's 100%, man. I'm not a big college uh, sports fan at all, but there's always been that ingrained uh, you know, Ohio, Michigan, you know, uh, Pittsburgh and Cleveland sort of rivalry that's existed. But yeah, anyway, I, I digress, of course, you know, throwing you off a little bit. Sorry. Yeah, that, my bad. Um, yeah. So as I mentioned, I, I grew up um, in Pittsburgh and I, I grew up in a mega church. So second biggest church in the Pittsburgh area. Okay. Uh, my parents were believers. Uh, my grandparents were believers. Um, and I was not a believer. I, I grew up going to church on Sundays and, and Wednesday nights and going on mission trips and so forth. And I, I, I there's evidence to the point that God was working at, on me from a young age, but I, I think I was unregenerate. I didn't really care for the things of God, didn't really have a relationship with Christ. There were moments where I would get into my Bible or start reading books uh, more than I had, but it would fade away after a few months or something to that effect. Um, and something my dad had especially pushed into me um, before I went to college was the importance of getting involved in a college uh, fellowship of some sort and hopefully a church too. Uh, he had gone to UC Berkeley for his master's, and that's, of course, one of the most liberal schools in the entire country. And he, he was always talking about, even from a young age, he would mention this from time to time, how his faith grew tremendously just being pressured uh, by the outside environment at a, at a place like Berkeley and then going back to Christian brothers and sisters who can sharpen you and, and help you answer those apologetic questions. So yeah, that was the first thing I did when I came to Penn is I found a couple of Christian fellowships and uh, some, I got involved in the Bible study and uh, – uh, the couple of guys who were leading it were, were not much older than me. They're, you know, juniors and seniors, but they knew the Bible was like the back of their hands. If we had a question, they would be, they would say, turn to second Peter one, turn to, you know, Psalm 110, turn to John three. Uh, I didn't even have a concept of somebody knowing the Bible that well, that they could turn wow. to a passage, just asking any question, knowing it, you know, knowing it to that extent. Um, so that got me reading my Bible. I, I got it uh, to some extent involved in the party scene. So going and just drinking and, and, and things like that. And sure. after a few months, I had a, I came to the point where I had to kind of pick, you know, what, who was it going to serve? What Was it going to serve myself and, and just enjoy the college experience? Or was it going to, was it going to serve the Lord? Um, wow. So I, I sort of set aside those um, college vices and, uh, you know, kept reading my Bible. Um, I read, I think I read James first um, and then I read John. And then around John six, it's like an arrow went through my heart. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Oh yeah. That is amazing, man. I, it's so. Uh, it's very encouraging to hear too. I have a I have a twenty year old son who uh, is married. He's been married now for about two years. Um, he 
you know, raised in our home. Uh, my wife and I both love the Lord. We we covenanted our marriage to serve God, and that was our goal. And we knew that whatever we were going to do, that we were going to rely on on God for that. And that includes our children. That includes, uh, you know, raising them up uh, with the gospel being lived out, uh, taught, and 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 just, you know, not a. We never wanted to be surfacey. Uh, we knew that if we were going to get married, it had to be to honor God. Uh, but I also, I'm, I'm a realist. I, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I know that my son has to have his moment of, of coming to Christ on his own. Um, and I, I do pray for that. And just hearing, you know, hearing your story, uh, it sounds like you have a kind of a similar background to my own son where, uh, raised in a church, raised in a church home or Christian home, uh, but never really adopting it for yourself. Um, and my hope is that, you know, God puts us through breaking moments where we have, uh, something is taken away from us, something is stripped from us, or we just get surrounded by evil, which sounds like that was kind of your case. You were surrounded, uh, on all sides by, you know, armies of darkness. And, and it really caused you to have to realize like, Hey, I can't do this on my own. And, uh, that's my hope for my own kid too. So that's, uh, that's encouraging to hear that, uh, you had that moment and that, I'm praying for that for my son. Um, so you, uh, obviously you, you have this, uh, you're, you're writing, you have this, this kind of new, newfound passion for serving the Lord. Um, kind of walk me through, I guess, from that point in your, in your real conversion where you really truly uh, trusted in Christ to uh, graduating uh, and getting picked up by a, a big outlet like the Daily Wire. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, and I, I will add to that last part too. So, you know, thanks for uh, sharing about your son. But one of the first fruits of, of my conversion was I bickered all the time with my parents in high school. You know, I was very independent minded, so I would fight with them. And, you know, it was almost every day there was some kind of a blow up. And then I came home um, after that first that, that first school year and I lived with them for the summer as I, as I had an internship. And it was, I don't think we fought a single time. It was amazing, you know. Um, wow. So, so God really worked in my life uh, pretty instantly, at least on, on that front. Um, no, thank you for that. Cause that is, yeah, I mean, yeah. we don't have real, we don't have any real fights. I actually feel I'm very close to my son. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I do see, I, I, have been 20. I know what it was like. I know when the, the cares of the world seem to be important and, and they kind of can draw you away. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm not trying to, I know that it's God that does the work. Like I, I have to have contentment in the work of Christ. I, I can't, I can't do it on my own and I never believe that I could. So if I, if I don't live that out, then I'm just being a hypocrite. Right. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And with respect to, to your other question. Um, yeah. So, so getting into, you know, I, I suppose listening to sermons and getting into the reform faith, especially um, yeah. over the past few years, um, the, the presuppositional apologetic reality has, has really undergirded a lot of my work in the conservative media sphere uh, mm. so, so not, so that's why I'm so thankful to be at the Sentinel is because there's no neutrality, right? Uh, there's, there's no such thing as neutral news coverage. Um, it may not be, you know, a, a sermon in every article, but it, it's, it's going to have a worldview and it's going to have a, a telos. Um, so th- that I suppose sense has, has been with me for the past few years as I've started to, as I graduated and started to get involved in different outlets. Yeah. So you, uh, as you were, uh, kind of exploring this, this newfound, uh, this desire and this, this ability to write, uh, which is really cool. Um, how were you, were you putting yourself out there as a journalist? Were you, were you trying to, to find places that would, uh, work with you and how did that, how did that process come about? Yeah. So it it sort of happened by accident. Like I said, you know, by God, really nothing by accident, but God's providence, of course. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I started with an internship in the summer of 2020 in DC with the spectator, and then um, my superior there, my editor there, said you should apply to this place called Campus Reform. So I did. So that's the uh, conservative college students who who tr- contribute to that outlet. And then the managing editor of Campus Reform, no, sorry, the editor in chief of Campus Reform became the managing editor at the Daily Wire. So I sent him an email, and that's how I got my oh, foot okay. in the door there. Yeah. And then I was there in the summer of 2021 for my next internship, uh, just writing news and and things of that nature, uh, which led to a full time job, and then which led to uh, the Sentinel. Yeah. That well, praise God. So, did you have a chance to meet any of those guys face to face, like Ben or Candace or uh, Andrew? 
I did, yeah. So I, I know, um, yeah, I've gotten to meet uh, Michael Knowles and, and Matt, and I met Candice briefly. Um, yeah, Knowles is a great guy. He's a really nice guy. Oh, man. <laughs> um, he's, yeah. He's, he's one of those Catholics that I'm like, he loves Jesus, man. I know he does. <laughs> he just, we just need to get him over to the, uh, the Protestant side and particularly the Reform side, which actually brings up a, a question I have for you. If you, you were you, were your parents in a Reformed church? Well, you said a mega church, so it was probably not a Reformed church. Um, how did you, how were you introduced to Reformed theology and the doctrines of grace? Yeah, so those older students who were running those Bible studies, they were uh, Reformed Baptist, Presbyterian. Um, they went to 10th Presbyterian Church, which is my where we go to church now, even though I'm Reformed Baptist. I still love my Presbyterian brothers. Uh, so yeah. I've been a member there for uh, two or three years at this point. Uh, my wife wow. just became a member earlier this year. Yeah. Praise God. And speaking of your wife, you, I think you you said recently that you celebrated, was it three years? One year. Yeah, one year of marriage. Oh, one year. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Wow. That's even, So did you meet your wife at school? I did, yeah. So I was her econ tutor. <laughs> uh, when really? I was, yeah, I was a sophomore and she was a freshman. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, man. Yes. That's awesome. Tell me, like, what... Uh, what was the the spark for you guys? What was the uh, the moment where you're like, we need to do, we need to solidify this, officiate it, make it uh, make it a covenant? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we we knew we were both Christians after a few weeks of tutoring. Um, so I helped plug her into some of those campus fellowships, invited her to church at tenth, um, and she went through her own conversion experience uh, at the beginning of COVID. So we didn't see each other for a few years. Um, you know, wow. I think from the, I guess, well, I guess like spring of 2020 to summer of 2021. Uh, so we would stay in touch and she was growing in her own faith and I was growing in mine. Uh, we would exchange text messages, call every once in a while. Um, I don't think either of us were really thinking about dating the other. At that point, we were just kind of casual friends. Yeah. Um, and then in when I was in Nashville that summer, she came up with her brother to visit their cousins and we hung out for a little bit and we started to like each other. So from there it wow. moved from, yeah, we dated for seven months. Um in my senior, my senior year, her junior year, um, okay. I proposed March of last year. We got married in July of last year, so we we, went, we moved pretty quick. Yeah, praise God, man! The man that finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen. How yeah. do you feel? Uh, how do you feel about being married, and how has that uh, built you up as a man of God? What are some of the benefits that you've uh, experienced? Yeah, just embracing that responsibility has has been good. Mm. Having a mind toward, I can't be a boy anymore. I have to provide for my not only myself but also my wife. Um, especially, she's still in school, so I, you know I'm the only the only person earning an income. Um, so having to keep it, you know, be be careful with that. Um, and let's see, there's also the the selfishness and sanctification elements where oh man, yes. yeah, the, the first year of marriage, you, you start to see, you know, you're very selfish and you're more selfish than you realize and. You know, for for us, the way the way I describe people is we have a lot of roommate issues, or, or I guess we had not, not so much anymore. Sure, sure. So me wanting to stay up super late and read or, or work on something or, or watch something, and you know she has she wants to go to bed early and and just you know disagreements about that sort of thing and learning how to operate um, with grace toward the, uh, the other and compromise and, and uh, give of yourself and self sacrifice. So yeah, but it's been really good. Yeah, yeah, that's great, man. I, I tell you, just. Uh... My the first few years I've been married twenty one years so the first wow. uh, probably the first decade was a lot of learning a lot of figuring things out um, certainly like I was a big gamer I loved playing video games and staying up late that was just, that's always been um, the thing that you know that I enjoyed to do you know kind of turn off my brain for a while and decompress and uh, we had to go through the phases of what is an appropriate amount amount of gaming? You know, how late is too late to stay up? Uh, and so for, and plus being in the Navy, I mean, I would deploy often and there'd be, you know, months and months at a time that I wasn't even at home. So, you know, you, you try to concentrate as much time as you can together when you have to be away uh, so often. And so uh, we're at the point now where, uh, you know, we, we both kind of have our own, after I mean, after 21 years of marriage, you you both kind of have your own things that you like and dislike. And she likes to watch shows sometimes or go to bed reading. And I'll try to you know I'll stay up and watch my own show or something like that. But it it balances out. So don't lose hope. You know when you feel <laughs> like you're you're being restricted on a level or you're just having to change so much. It 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 does eventually balance out with yeah. Uh, yeah. with the spouse. So uh, that's great, man. Praise God for that. And uh, is there any uh, intention for children in the future for you guys? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, we're not quite there yet, but for, very soon. No, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I, I, I've always said 24 or 25 would be when we'd get started, and uh, the Lord had different plans. I think I was just turning uh, around 22 when uh, we had our first son, which is cool because I don't feel like I'm in my 40s. I don't feel like I act like I'm in my 40s. And so now I have an adult son that has become far more of a a friend in in a sense now that he's out making his own decisions, married and having to to take care of his family. So um, it is always good, man, to to start as early as you, as you can because mm-hmm. you want to have all those years of your life to uh, pour into your kids, you know, and enjoy it too. You know, don't start like at 70 because then you're going to, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to have those moments. So, yep. And we do um, want a lot of kids. Yeah. We do want awesome. a lot of kids. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. We, I, I would be happy with more. We have four, uh, my oldest being 20, my youngest is seven. Uh, I would be happy with having more kids. I think, you know, we're at the point now where as we get older, it, it definitely becomes more, uh, it's more work when you have younger kids in your forties. I, I can't run around the way I used to, uh, when I was in my twenties and early thirties. So, uh, good for you, man. So, um, so daily wire, you get picked up with them. Um, you, you, you don't, you no longer work with them. Uh, you know, I, m- my opinion on some of the things that, uh, that I saw through that process, uh, was a little disheartening. Uh, and I won't go into it. Most people probably already know, you know, some of what led to to you um, getting picked up with the Republic Sentinel. So uh, I think that was a better fit for you anyway. Um, the fact that you, it seems to be that you you can express your opinions at the at the Sentinel without uh, any type of hindrance. What um, now, as the editor in chief, I don't know a lot of these terms. So what is that? What's that responsibility like? What kind of things are you responsible for at the Sentinel? Yeah, so being being the lead editor of the Sentinel, or it's it's like being you know the president of a homeschool, right? So we're so small right now. We have one staff reporter. We have a bunch of contributors. We're growing, but we're, we're small. So um, I'm editing articles. I'm uploading articles. I'm deciding, working with our our founders, uh, Zach Lautenschlager and Nathan Barnes, on the direction um, of the publication. Uh, what sort of things we want to cover? How we cover them? Um, how we make money? Um, so it's, sure. so it's sort of like, it's, I guess it's sort of like a COO, like I'm an, I'm an implementer fundamentally right now. Um, so, so working with both the senior management and also the rest of the team to figure out what we're going to do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So if somebody, if somebody were wanting to somebody say somebody's watching this and they, they feel that draw to conservative journalism, uh, what are some, what are some recommendations that you would make to someone that is like, hey, I would like to do this full time or at least get my feet wet. Uh, what are some steps that somebody could take to get involved in doing what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. So uh, one really helpful piece of advice I picked up at Daily Wire is don't go to don't go to college for journalism. Go to college for some kind of useful subject area. So I study business and economics. So that's what I did 80 to 90 percent of the time at the Daily Wire is covering you know business news, economic news, um, breaking news quickly. Um, so if you if you want to get involved in a publication and you want to stand out, um, they're going to have you know a hundred you know journalism majors who are going to apply. But if you can show that you're a good writer and you're an expert in a certain field or at least developing the expertise, uh, you're going to have a much easier time getting your foot in the door. So that's that's service level advice, uh, just in terms of if you want to be in, if you want to enter. And of course, uh, writing and reading a lot is is critical and important. And, and most people who um, are, are kind of built that way. So from a young age, I, I kind of knew I'd be doing something with writing, even if it was in the business world. Um, mm. So in, in some way, like my younger brother's uh, an engineer. So he, he was building Legos, you know, our entire childhood and, and working on robots and, and that sort of thing. And I was reading books, right? So if you have a natural, awesome. um, I suppose, bent in that direction, you should pursue it. And and you can you can certainly succeed in journalism, right? It's 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 an important field and, and it's an honorable field and it has been throughout the history of the country and, and more Christians should be involved in it. Yeah. Well, certainly more Christians nowadays. I mean, the, the amount of, of dis and misinformation that some of these journalists put out. I mean, I was raised in, in, a, in a world where if it was published, if it was in a newspaper or on TV, like we could trust it or at least we were taught and trained to trust it. So what uh i mean how do you avoid as a journalist how do you avoid those pitfalls of falling you know into embellishing information 
Right. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I think that this is where being a Christian comes comes in, right? Mm. Because that temptation exists, right? To to want to, you know, ignore a certain factor, maybe not ignore, but you know, downplay it or frame it in a certain way. But then you remember that every every idle word will be judged on the last day, right? Mm. Uh, so telling the truth involves telling the whole truth, right? So not leaving out information. Uh, so you can't just ignore certain elements of the story. Uh, so for example, this uh, with the. Um, the, the young men who were arrested in Wisconsin. That was a big story we broke last week. Yeah, um, yeah. Definitely want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we will. And, and you know, we, we couldn't just ignore the fact, like, what were their charges? What were they actually charged with? Were those legitimate charges? So, you know, last week I was on the American Reform podcast, and I was talking about these things, and I said, well, I don't know if they broke the law or not. I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to just go and defend them. But I will point out, it, on, on a commentary level, you know, it is noteworthy that the police went after the conservatives, the Christians, but not the leftists who were grooming children. So... You can't just blindly, you know, accept everything that your side has to say. Um, another thing that I've noticed that a lot of conservative outlets is the willingness to disrespect uh, Democratic leaders. And this is also where being a Christian mm. comes in is because we're told to pray for our leaders, to pray for their conversion, to honor them uh, to the extent that they're honoring God. Um, so even something like we're not you're not going to find a picture, an unflattering picture of Joe Biden or Kamala Harris on our front page. You're just not going to. Uh, we're going to pick, no matter what side they're on, we're going to pick a picture where they you know, look pretty good or look presentable, look like themselves, not some weird close-up or something to that effect. Uh, because we want to we be respectful even to those we disagree with, and especially those who uh, God has put in, our, in authority over us, uh, even if we disagree with them on, on a political level. Yeah, and that's got to be interesting uh, from knowing that you're kind of in the middle of uh, this this process of journalism and uh, you can see some of the temptations to, to give over to a narrative or to leave out certain information. Do you, do you have different eyes now when you read articles from other places? Do you feel like you see so much, you know, more exposed even in what they lack in what they put in their articles? Oh, certainly. Yeah. So I, I like, I like Axios, right? That is my favorite left-wing publication or, or center-left publication. But you can tell the way that they talk is, is, a, is you can see exactly where they're coming from and what they're trying to accomplish, right? So covering abortion as, as reproductive health care, um, talking about trans rights, right? Like even, even the words and phrases we use uh, say something about a worldview and push the, the general public in a certain direction, right? So that's why you see conservative publications talking about biological men, right? It's because they're, they're playing patty foot with the leftists to say, well, no, no, these are actually women, uh, so they want to sort of compromise and say, well, these are biological men. But that raises the question, can somebody be a biological man? And then is there another type of man besides a biological one? I don't think so. Right. That's, so that's, that's why, good. Yeah. So that's why, you know, at the Sentinel, we don't use that phrase. We use we use man and woman. Right. Yeah, that's it's funny because I, I saw recently that uh, the CEO of Harry's Razors uh, <laughs> recently went on a, a weird kind of tirade on uh birthing person, male birth, or I don't even remember the words. It was so ridiculous um, where he just talks about uh, just using such neutered language uh, when it comes to uh, describing what most of us would just consider to be basic truths. You know, a man is a man and a woman is a woman. Then you have a trans man and a trans woman, meaning, you know, a fake man or fake woman. Uh, and I, I loved, I listened to, um, Father Calvin Robinson, when he had made that point on the Pints with Aquinas podcast, he says it's an easy way to remember uh, which one it is if you just replace the word trans with fake. Then you'll know <laughs> you'll know what their transition is. You know, if it's yeah. a trans man, well, that's just a fake man, so it's a biological woman. Um, what are some of the other uh, what are some of the other tactics that journalists will use to uh, to support their narrative and and uh, kind of drive false truths. Yeah. So it also really matters what you choose to cover, right? So if you don't cover it at all, then there's not going to be any, any formation of the opinion around it. So, so for, um, you know, I guess liberal outlets, left-wing outlets, they're not going to cover Hunter Biden because that makes their, their favorite politicians look bad. So you can look at analyses where people are looking at how many minutes have, has CNN or MSNBC spent on the Hunter Biden laptop on his most recent charges. And the answer is not very many, if at all. Um, yeah. I remember this too last summer with the Supreme Court justices, how the, the Roe 
uh, I guess the Dobbs opinion had leaked and there were protesters outside of their houses and most media outlets weren't even covering it. And there were a few, um, there were a few conservative reporters who were there every single day throughout the entire summer. Uh, one of whom Doug Blair is now a contributor for us, uh, on our breaking oh, nice. news side. Yeah. They're there every single day. Um, you know, reporting on these crazy left-wing activists and Tiva types who are threatening Amy Coney Barrett, threatening Brett Kavanaugh in their, no- in their own neighborhoods. Uh, and then you just, it's just crickets from the, from the, uh, legacy media. And, um, that was also true of the firebombing attacks and, and the vandalism against the uh, the pregnancy centers last summer. Um, oh yeah, a good friend of mine. Um, yeah, a, a, a colleague of mine, uh, Mary Margaret Olihan, who worked at the Daily Wire, is now is now at the Daily Signal. Was one of the few journalists who was actually uh, reporting on that um, at all, right on on either the left or the right. And I think she just won an award for it, but and rightly so. Um, but it really does matter what you choose to cover, and and. Um, in, in both the conservative world, uh, the crisis conservative world, and in the left wing world, uh, there's there's strong disincentives toward covering certain things. Yeah, disincentives. I like that. That makes sense. Uh, I guess. So, in what ways do you determine uh, the relevance uh, in what you're covering? Like, if, if if a story, would you say that you get presented a lot of different stories or a lot of different ideas, and then how do you kind of balance like there's got to be just ridiculous amounts of things that you could talk about. So what makes you pick and choose the certain ones that you do uh, over other ones? And are there ways to try to, I guess, cover as many as possible? Yeah. So that's especially frustrating right now being so small. Uh, We're we're growing a lot. We're about to hit 150,000 email subscribers, which is really exciting. Wow, man. Yes. That's great. Yes. But in terms of our staff, we're we're still pretty small. We're recruiting fast, but we're small. So, you know, um, myself and and Zach and Nathan will send several stories throughout the course of the day, like, oh, we should cover this. And then because our staff is so small, we can only cover maybe, you know, less than half of them. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I have a clear answer on that question in particular. Sure. Um, a lot of it is what is, what do you want to cover? What is interesting to you? And as a, as a business and economics reporter by, by trade, I suppose, and also as a Christian, some of those start to come out. Um, our, our staff writer, uh, loves to talk about the second amendment and in the military and, uh, some of those political things with the Biden administration. So she covers a lot of those. Um, and we've been actively recruiting folks who have subject area expertise. So, we have Rachel Reeves as a contributor for education. She's a homeschool Christian mom down in Virginia. Uh, we have John Root contributing for sports now. So he yeah, was with I like USA. I like John a lot. He's great. Yeah. So these these are people who uh, who know, who are you know areas in a certain subject matter, and they they know what to cover and how to cover it very well, better than I could. I, I hardly know sports at all. I know education a little bit, uh, being a, a student for most of my life, but I, I don't have kids. Uh, that question is not presented to me very often. So right. uh, that's what we're trying to do is just build a really robust team. That's great, man. Uh, the the military thing, I, I certainly, uh, because of my background, I am very passionate about uh, the way that our military was treated over the COVID thing. I, I tell you what, it's by God's providence and God's providence alone that I retired when I did. It was November of 2019 when my ceremony went down. Uh, we were leaving Washington State to come over here to Missouri um, and then all of the mandates began to begin, uh, began to begin. Yeah. Whatever that means. Uh, but we, uh, I tell you, I dodged a bullet. The Lord, the Lord really, uh, saved me and spared me from that. Cause, uh, even as a civilian, after being retired, I would, I had my own frustrations. I can't imagine my, my brothers and sisters in arms that felt, you know, uh, convicted and compelled to avoid, these vaccines that wanted to fight against the mask mandates and were just, you don't really get much of an opinion in the military. You, you don't get a say you it's either do what we tell you to do or, you know, hit the road, Jack, don't, you know, don't come back anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would have, if it, if I had been set to retire two years later than I was, I don't know that they would have even allowed me to retire. I mean, I would have probably been, one of those guys kicked out, which uh, is just a it's just a really tragic thing that happens. And I, I am praying and hoping that a lot more of that gets exposed. And um, but at the same time, who would want to serve again, if, even if you're allowed to go back in? Who wants to go serve again after how you were just treated? Wait till the next thing comes along. You know, it's it's just kind of a an endless vicious cycle. 
So right, and I'm, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the big projects we're working on right now is is a documentary called Seals Beat Biden. So it's about how a, a small handful of Navy SEALs stood up successfully to the Biden administration vaccine mandate and they got it defeated. Uh, so there, we yes. we were down in DC a few weeks ago uh, filming. Um, with Pastor Jeff Durbin, he was actually the first guy those SEALs went to because they knew that he was both a Christian and that he had a good grasp on law and politics and, and the historic view of those things in the Western world and in the Christian tradition. Uh, so that'll be coming out soon. Uh, it's going to be a, we, we hope it's going to be a blockbuster. We, we, we have a lot of, uh, top brass who come and talk to us and, and go on camera and condemn, uh, the Biden military for, you know, this, this horrible leadership they're presenting. And of course, young men are not going to want to join. Um, a military where the people who are celebrated are the are the men who think they're women and are wearing dresses and makeup. Um, one of our one of our opinion contributors is a former Navy SEAL who's featured in that in a documentary, and he did a great job actually today with an opinion piece discussing all of that. So there's there's very little that's compelling, you know, conservative uh, men who are from especially the American South who historically have made up most in the military uh, from wanting to join up. Yeah, and it, it's kind of weird too. I I didn't. Throughout my entire 20 year career, man, like the, I never really saw very many, uh, people that were struggling with, with their gender or, you know, gender ideology, you know, gender dysmorphia. Um, I was, I was in, I was active duty when don't ask, don't tell got repealed. Um, in fact, my first four years of service, they were still kicking out homosexuals. Um, if, if you were found out to be gay, you were, you were not going to be able to serve. And so I, I served in the midst of watching homosexuals be removed, uh, then the repealing of don't ask, don't tell. So now they can openly serve. Now the Navy, uh, in my case, the Navy was paying, uh, homosexual couples to be married, giving them the stipends that the rest, that the traditional marriage folks or real marriage folks were getting, um, and then at, towards the end, like my last year, I saw a surge of trans individuals. It was mind blowing. It, it, it felt like it literally came out of nowhere. I, I, I mean, seriously. I mean, it, it was, um, I, you know, I had my own struggles towards the end of my career. I was, I was dealing with a lot of depression. I had a lot of spiritual uh, warfare going on in my life. And there was a lot of stress coming up on retirement. You know, what am I going to do? Uh, when I get out, how am I going to be a civilian? You know, because I don't know anything other than the Navy uh, since high school. Um, and so I had a lot of stress. I, I was an alcoholic. You know, I've been sober now for uh, it's going to be four or five years, but I don't even count anymore. I'm just I'm sober. So I'm happy. You know, the Lord's delivered me from that. Um, but uh, I was working at the hospital, the Naval Hospital in Bremerton, Washington, and I started to see these guys that were, you know, submariners that were um, dealing with uh, gender body dysmorphia and, and all of that. And it was, it was like, it was there one or it was not there one day. And then all of a sudden it's everywhere. And it, I think the military is a microcosm for our society. Right. And typically the things that we, that we deal with in the military, uh, they seem to trail behind what's going on in society, but then it kind of catches up. So like the same, like with the gay marriage thing, society was already doing it one way. The Navy or the military took a while to, to adopt what the rest of society was doing. And then once they did, it was an explosion of now, you know, it's at the point where the white house is putting pride flags everywhere. We had to go to training on uh, inclusion and diversity. We'd have to sit through those things. Um, and it never really, I guess, dawned on me like the severity of what was happening in our culture. But now that I'm out and I'm seeing it from a you know a, a much different perspective, it's like, oh, that was there, and uh, it, it it really is going to it's going to be the destruction of our government. Well, it's going to be the destruction of our military for sure. Just the same way that uh, that gay marriage has infiltrated and and is is wrought everything from. Uh, drag queen story hour to all these pride events to basically being a bigot if you don't uh, celebrate what they do. Um, our society is crumbling and the military is going to be next for sure. Yeah. 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 One of the questions we tackle in our documentary is how 
historically the most trusted institution in the United States, which has been the military, had to be corrected by the least trusted, which is Congress, right? So they had to, it was, it was Congress through, through the NDAA that reversed the vaccine mandate. But yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, as a civilian, you know, my, my grandfather, who I never met, served in the Navy. But beyond that, there's not too much. I had some uncles and cousins who served in the military too. But, you know, I'm, I'm mostly a civilian who doesn't know all that much about the military. And I'm, I'm watching this and just seeing the insanity that they're letting into the ranks. I'm seeing on the DOD's website, they have a whole feature for Pride Month about this, this guy named Rachel Jones who's wearing a dress and a, and a weird wig uh, working at yeah. a computer. And I'm like, what is going on? Um, and you, you see that too with the, um, the, the abortion policy. They're, they're now funding... Uh, military yes. members to go to other states and get abortions. Um, I think to the tune of 4,000, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, and then you see the media, so this is where it comes full circle, right? The media is absolutely destroying uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville for it because he's standing up and saying, I'm not going to let any uh, military uh, promotions happen until this is reversed. And he's, he's being heroic. Um, but this is, it's like we're trying the best we can to invoke the judgment of God on our nation and, you know, at the highest levels, right? Um, this military, which is far from having anything looking like a just war theory from a Christian standpoint, it is right. instead just adopting neo-pagan child sacrifice, which is what abortion is. Yeah. And the just war theory, I think that's a great point that you bring up. You know, I, as a, as a GI Joe, I, I was, um, I was all in, you know, with, if, if we, if, I mean, I, <laughs> the entire Afghanistan conflict was during my time in service, you know, the 20 years. So, um, I, I was bought, you know, hook, line and sinker to doing whatever the military would do. Uh, I thought that what we were doing was, was right. I felt like what we were doing was, was good for our country. And it, it really took, it, it really took 2020 and on to, for the Lord to strip that idol from me. Uh, I didn't realize how much of an idol it truly was in my life. I, I, I would have done anything, you know, and didn't question it. And looking back now, it's like, holy cow, like, are you serious? Like, I was really buying into, I, why were we in Afghanistan? Why did we do the things that we did? Uh, I did two tours in Guantanamo Bay doing the detainee operations out there. That was uh, kind of my big contribution for uh, the operations that were over there. Um I was bought in to everything, you know, I believed whatever they told me. And I think that, do you, do you think that we're seeing culturally a, uh, a lack of, in a good way, a lack of reliance on our military now and on our government? Like what is, what have, have you seen shift in just your short time in journalism uh, with the way that our society views the way, you know, the government and the war machine and all of that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think the, I don't know about, so much about the the war machine. Like I said, I think there's uh, less of a, an enthusiasm uh, or support for the armed forces. Last week I wrote about how um, support for the armed forces has reached its, its lowest level in two decades um, because of the Afghanistan withdrawal, but also because you have Mark Milley going before Congress and talking about how he wants to understand white rage. Like, what on earth? Um, right. Yeah. But I think, yeah, that's a great point, is is uh, the local reliance that has made America great historically. I think you're seeing that just start to come back, right? So you see the parents who are going to their school boards and saying, hey, we don't want to tolerate this. Whereas before, they would just let their kids go to school and maybe hardly even ever ask what they're learning. Now they're discovering that in that absence of, of their oversight, these these public school people are, are pushing, you know, genderqueer and, and these disgusting you know, graphic novels and, and just a, and an overall leftist indoctrination on their kids and they're pushing back. And then in the reformed world, uh, you see like a, like a county before country mentality. Like how do we take care of our people before, you know, we care about like the, pre who the yes. president of the United States is. I think that's a really good attitude to have. Um, that's what, that's what's made America great is that's what provoked the American revolution. In my opinion is, you know, we don't need some foreign power telling us how to live. We can do it ourselves. We're competent people. And I think there's a long way to go for Americans and especially, uh, Christian Americans to regain that that self dependence and that self reliance, um, but I think we're moving in that direction. I think 2020 has opened a lot of people up to that. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I, uh, I don't know where you really stand on the the goal of Christian nationalism. Uh, I've I would have thought that that was a buzzword or a bad word for a while, many you know many years ago. Um, but uh, I I've certainly have changed. Uh, my opinion on it, when it really comes to uh, our society and putting Christ first and putting God's law first, 
uh, it has really opened my eyes to see like how far we have fallen into idolatry in our legal system, in the government, in our military and all that. What, where, where do you stand on that? And if, if you want to talk about it, if you don't, that's fine too. <laughs> but uh, what are some of your thoughts? No, for sure. I know, I know it's a hot button issue right now, but um, I don't know if I describe myself as, as a Christian nationalist. I don't know about that terminology, but yeah. you know, like I said, I'm presuppositional. I'm, I'm definitely a theonomist, right? So I think that our laws should be influenced um, by, by God's standards, by the Bible. Amen. I think, I think we can go to our lawmakers and say, you know, murder is bad, abortion is bad, and not and not because you know, not merely because I should say, uh, you know, a baby is a human from conception, but because God said to Moses on Mount Sinai that you shall not murder. I think we can totally do that as as American Christians, and we should, and we should more often. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the mechanics of how that would work, establishing a Christian government, I'm not quite sure. Uh, what I think Christians need to yeah. do right now is is preach the gospel, right? We know that these. I, yes. I, I think I kind of see that as you know something like a federal Christian government is only going to come as a fruit of of something like a third great great awakening. That's exactly where, right, brother. That's exactly right. Yeah, where if we re- reclaim, um, you know, the the historic Christian faith we've held in the United States, and if God is so kind as to grant you know an outpouring of His Holy Spirit, uh, reformation within the broader American church, revival in the culture, I think you know we could we currently so we. Excuse me. Uh, we we certainly could, in principle, um, have something like a Christian government where we openly acknowledge Christ as Lord, because we know that whether or not officials re- recognize that He is Lord over all right. governments. Yeah, He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yeah. Yeah, that's good, man. I I kind of I'm the same way. I uh, I definitely see the the Christian nationalism or the, the theonomist goal as far down the the pipe in the future. Um, because we can't sort it out so quickly and we won't be able to sort it out so quickly. But if, if we maintain our focus on the gospel and on changing the individual hearts, uh, it by, by nature, you know, like I, what you said is great. The fruit of that will be that we will honor God in our law and we will honor God in our government because people want to honor God because their hearts have been changed. Like, You can't go the opposite way and enforce all these laws on people and demand that they honor God um, because that's not how that's that's never worked. And that's not really how the Lord shows us in Scripture. It's it is a presentation of the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. God changes the heart of the person. He changes their affections towards him. And when we when we are led by the Holy Spirit, why wouldn't we? uphold the good things of God by our very nature because he changes our nature. So that's right. Yeah, very yeah. good, man. Yeah. And I know uh, that we're both abolitionists, right? So the flip side yes. of that is it's not to say that even today Christians cannot or should not try to influence law and policy in the United States, right? So um, the two of us and a lot of our friends want to see these abolition bills get yes. passed across the nation. And, you know, just because a, a broad swath of the American public disagrees with the fact that you know, murdering a baby is bad and should be punished under law doesn't mean that we shouldn't stop calling or doesn't mean that we should stop calling for that. Right. Um, no, it's absolutely. Actually, it's neighbor love to say that it should be illegal to kill our neighbors. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent, man. It, and it's such a delusion uh, when it comes to the pro-choice movement and even the pro-life movement, there's a lot of delusion there too. Um, but it's, that is, that's such a, that really is kind of a microcosm with what's wrong with society as a whole is that there is just there is no foundational objective truth anymore. We 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 want to um, cater to feelings, we want to cater to experience, and we aren't you know we don't even want to talk about God. We want to deny God, and so why wouldn't the rest of the way that we operate reflect that? And abortion is one of those main things. I I I think we will see. About uh, abortion abolished uh, in maybe not in my lifetime, but perhaps in your lifetime. You know, God, God willing. Um, I think that that is a very tenable goal. Uh, I think it's a very realistic one because the amount of hypocrisy that exists in these laws that claim to be for life and liberty, um, they're they're hypocritical. They're, it, it's only some life; it's not all life. And uh, I think we will. There will be a great period of mourning when when the science does catch up to reality, and we see very clearly that life begins at conception. Um, and and 
I think it's totally possible, man, but we need guys that are your age. We need people that guys and gals that are your age that are leading the cause because guys like me, like in my forties, and I, I know I still have a lot of time. I mean, God knows how much time I actually have, but, uh, you know, statistically speaking, I have probably another lifetime to live up to this point. So, uh, but things get slower and things get harder to do. And, and so we, we need to pour in and disciple and mentor people that are your age. And there needs to be a real coming surge of, um, of change. Like what was, there was a, there was a recent, uh, poll or something that had came out and I don't know if it was you guys that ran it or if somebody one, maybe one commented on it, but that men, young men are, are turning, leaning more conservative nowadays. Uh, do you want to speak to that at all? Like what your thoughts are being that that's kind of your generation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think I did see that too. Um, that especially post 2020 young men are surging conservative and young Ladies are surging liberal. And I think this gets into the broad conversation around folks like Andrew Tate, masculinity, right? Yeah. If we keep, you know, telling young men that they're not, that they're worthless, that they're just the Ken to the, to the greater and better Barbie, uh, <laughs> you're going to have pushback against it. And I think it's a good thing, right? So I think, um, we need to be reaching those young men for Christ. You know, this gets into the story that we were publishing last week where there's a, a 19 year old in Wisconsin who was simply reading from the Bible from Galatians five at a, at a drag queen story hour event. And, you know, you see in the video that he gets, you know, attacked by, that's an exaggeration, excuse me. Uh, he gets surrounded by a bunch of cops and, and they put him in handcuffs and they lead him away. And they're, they're choosing to crack down on, I think that is a microcosm, like you were saying, of a broader, broader civilization, choosing to crack down on the, the white Christian man. That's like the villain, right? And in the, the homosexual man who's, who's twerking in front of children can have free reign. Yeah. And it's, and it's, again, going back to the hypocrisy that is shared with the abortion is like Wisconsin law says that that sexualization and those images and depicting sexual acts is illegal. Right. And yet it's, I I don't know, do you, who was sponsoring it? Was the, was it the city that was sponsoring that event or was it a, a different organization? Do you remember? Uh, I, I'm not sure. Um, I know it was the city's police force was there and you know, there's several dozen police officers um, and yeah. from what I understand, uh, the, the folks who were there were telling me that uh, they were most of them were pretty neutral. They were trying to just kind of keep the peace, but there were a handful who were really trying to make sure that the Christians were were quiet and couldn't interfere. Right? Maybe to and it was a public park, so uh, they did have the right to be there. And of course, it's debated yeah. whether or not their uh, that drag queen group's uh, permit was valid. From what I understand, but uh, oh wow, yeah, at the very least, uh, it was a public park. They couldn't just entirely shut down their free speech. Um, but you see the legal bias against the Christians, you know, you had Tony Evers come out and, um, there, there were supposed, uh, Nazis at this event too. And oh, a lot yeah, of the, I heard, yes. And a lot of the media were actually trying to lump them in with the Christians who were there, which is completely dishonest. But you had the governor of Wisconsin, who's a Democrat come out a few days later and crack down on the Nazis and defend what the drag queens were doing. Right. And the question is, by what standard do we say that, you know, why do we, why do we like LGBT over Nazism? We should, and the Christians would say both are bad. Right. Um, Right. And, and actually, that young man who was arrested, Marcus, Schra- Marcus Schrader, he went before his city council and gave a speech to that effect saying, you know, if you guys are so concerned about Nazism, you know, if you believe that we're descendants of pond scum and monkeys, you know, what's to say that any human being has any value? The, the only reason why you think that uh, human beings have value is because you've been informed by Christianity that's in the cultural water. And as we continue to dismiss that, we're going to get more Nazis and more, you know, grown men twerking on kids. Amen, man. I mean, that's, and that's exactly right. It's, it's exactly right. If there is no moral, if there is no standard by which we live, uh, then you can't make a good argument for Nazis bad, right? you know, what's the, what's the point, right? Very good. So, all right, my friend, well, we're, we're closing up on about an hour. Uh, Is there anything else that you would like to, obviously, I want you to plug all of your socials, please plug your, your outlet that you're working for, where we can find you. Uh, I'll give you the floor. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's uh, it's great to be here. First of all, thank you for taking the time. It's, Thanks, it's, it's been enjoyable. Yeah, and I'm I appreciate what you're doing out there uh, in in the abortion mills in, in Kansas, and you know uh, we're doing that here in Philadelphia too. So uh, I know that it's a hard ministry. So God bless you for doing it. Thank you. Yeah, you too. for sure. Um, I, I'm I'm on Twitter at Ben Zeisloff, just all one word. Uh, the Sentinel is uh, RepublicSentinel.com, um, and on Twitter we're at Republic Sentinel. 
Um, yeah, so we encourage you to sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, you'll, that's how you, that's the best way to get our content. You'll get it right in your inbox every morning. You'll get uh, breaking news alerts. You'll be the first to see that documentary I was talking about with the Navy SEALs who defeated the Biden administration. So uh, that's about it. Yeah, thank you for having me, brother. Yeah. Yeah, praise God, man. Thank you again so much. I really uh, appreciate you taking the time. And uh, and I and it, it just goes to show that if you're incessant on Twitter about bugging people <laughs> to be on your podcast, eventually they will listen. You just got to keep pushing and pushing. So uh, no, but I, I know you're a busy guy anyway. And being, being so uh, newly married, you got a lot going on. So you taking the time out has been a blessing, man. And uh, make sure you guys go out there and sign up for that newsletter. It's it's free to sign up for, right? So they don't have to pay yeah, anything. Completely free. Yeah. So yeah. in a world where the news is completely uh, untrustworthy, you know, we need to have that sort of thing. And and to get it directly into your email mailbox is important. Uh, you don't have to tune into to faux news or see a communist news network. You can uh, you can get the the Republic Sentinels right to your email, and then go follow Ben on Twitter. He's he's always got some great takes, uh, and I appreciate the work that he's done. So God bless you, brother. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. This episode is out, and we will see you next week.